Well, today we are finishing up Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 16. So let's hear uh, the word of the Lord. Really, this section in, in chapter 4 and then some in chapter part of chapter 5 is reminds us of the book of Proverbs, which many, most of those Solomon wrote as well. And, and this is the format uh, of the, this section in chapters 4 and 5 is, is, is Proverbs. So here's what we uh, hear uh, from Ecclesiastes 4.13. Better is a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. For he comes out of prison to be king. Although he was born poor in his kingdom, I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We do pray uh, that it will abide in our hearts, uh, that we would love it, keep it, live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, in our last lesson on Ecclesiastes, Solomon pointed out the vanity of being isolated from others. Or another way to say it is alienated from others. You know, the person who, who has no friends, who has no family, is alone in the world, and nothing else uh, can, uh, whether it's wealth or possessions or, or anything else, can, can make up for that isolation. And even though we might know the Lord, we still need other people. Solomon said, two are better than one, and even a threefold cord is not easily broken. Uh, but today's lesson has to do with the vanity of popularity or of acclaim uh, or public praise. We could find a lot of uh, terms that fit uh, what Solomon is talking about. And remember that vanity is a word that can mean breath, uh, brevity, uh, just a vapor, uh, something that's here for a moment and is gone quickly, it's short-lived. And, and so we think of popularity and how quickly uh, it can come and go. And uh, he gives the example of a, of a wise uh, youth and then an old foolish king uh, to compare, to contrast with each other. And so, of course, to become king or, or to hold a political office uh, there has to be some measure of approval, uh, uh, some uh, popularity, if you will, uh, some favor with the people. But, but that favor, uh, that popularity comes and goes, doesn't it? And, uh, and that's true in other areas of life as well, uh, not just for those who are in leadership. Uh, on the one hand, as we saw last time, it's vanity to, to isolate ourselves uh, from others to be to choose to be alone. On the other hand, it, it's vanity to seek uh, the approval uh, of others as an end in itself. 
and that that's what you're living for. Uh, I remember when I was probably in the fifth or sixth grade, I began to realize that, oh, you know, there's a group of people that are the popular people, right, in the class. And, uh, and I wanted to be one of those people. And, I, you know, and there's certain things you have to do. But basically, the bottom line is you just have to learn how to act cool. And uh, you, you have to find who the cool people are and try to hang out with them. But, you know, we realize how, how dumb that kind of thing is. It's childish. Uh, and uh, peer pressure, peer approval, those are, those are important things when we're young. And uh, that's why we need to pray for our young people today. Because, uh, you know, social media is so crazy today that it makes uh, everything far worse. If you step out of line uh, just for a moment, uh, your social standing uh, in, in your peer group uh, can be destroyed instantly. I mean, you know, when I was young... Uh, I mean, you think about it with cell phones uh, now. I mean, your every move can be recorded. Somebody might be videoing you just with their phone and, and doing all kind of stupid stuff. I'm so glad, so glad those weren't around when I was young because I did a lot of foolish things. Um, yes. But I, I'd like to think I'm past all that now that I'm over the age of 65. And uh, that I don't care about what people think anymore. But, no, I still do. Uh, I care about what people think and what they say. And I want to be liked. I don't want to be unpopular. I mean, I'm not trying to be unpopular anyway. Uh, and, uh, but these things are really out of our control, aren't they, for the most part? We, we can't control what people think of us. And, and, and the idea of you know, seeking popularity uh, is really unworthy. For the Christian, I would say Jesus said this. He said, "Woe to you when all men speak well of you." Now that's interesting. We want people to speak well of us, but Jesus says, "Woe to you when they do." Uh, but those who seek popularity, they find out in the end that it that it's an empty pursuit. It doesn't last. And um, really, the believer in Jesus shouldn't seek either popularity or unpopularity. We shouldn't seek either one of them. What what should we do? We should seek Christ. Just seek to follow him, go his way, and let uh, you know let things happen as they as they happen, uh, and, and realize that it doesn't matter in the end uh, because we are accepted by God in Jesus Christ. So there's one constant in the life of the believer: to follow Jesus, to live for His approval, and not the approval of others. Even though we certainly don't want to isolate ourselves from people, we on, on the other end we don't seek their approval. We see not the approval of man, the approval of God. Two points to the sermon today and, and as we go through the verses. And the first one is to see the vanity in uh, high places, the vanity of those who are uh, in high places. Verse 13, better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more. So we see this contrast. This is the way Proverbs Work. Sometimes you have a comparison or a repetition of one thing after the other that are saying the same thing. And sometimes you have an antithesis. And this is a clear antithesis. And uh, you have one old person one young person. Uh, the, the young person is poor. That's not uh, unusual. Uh, young people haven't had time to, to make uh, a living and, and, and accumulate wealth. But what is surprising is this young man mentioned is wise 
Normally the two don't go together because, again, wisdom usually is something that takes time. And, uh, and, 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 and then Solomon mentions the old and foolish king. And it's, it's not surprising that a king might be old. We think of the presidents that we've had recently. They're kind of old guys. The guy we have in office right now is pretty old. Uh, the oldest that's ever uh, served, I think, or, 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 or is getting to be that point. But uh, what's surprising about this king mentioned in Ecclesiastes 4 is that he's not wise. Uh, through all these years, he should have gained much wisdom. And normally that's the case. Wisdom comes with age, but not with this man. He's not wise. Why was he foolish? Why wasn't he wise? Because as verse 13 says, he will be admonished no more. He wouldn't take heed to any warnings or any counsel uh, anymore. Uh, another translation says he no longer knew how to take advice. The Bible says where there is no counsel, the people fail. Uh, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And, and so even a king needs counselors uh, that uh, he needs to listen to. And so whether you're young or old, you too, uh, me too, we all need the counsel of others at times. And of course, it requires humility to listen to others. It's, um, it's not always easy to, to be corrected or to, uh, to, to have to listen to someone who has uh, something to say to us. We get defensive about that, but we shouldn't. Uh, uh, we should listen. And, um, you know, an old king, you can imagine, can get to the point, like the one Solomon mentions, that uh, when, he, when he thinks he knows it all, or he's simply so set in his ways that he doesn't care anymore to, to listen to what others have to say. You know, old people, sometimes we can get cranky and, uh, and, and, and uh, refuse to change. Well, if, with this old foolish king, you see when that happens, he loses favor with the people and uh, his popularity fades and then he's going to be replaced. That's just the way it goes. Uh, Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And so one thing we all need in this, re in this regard as we think about it is humility. And, uh, you know, the question is, are we willing to listen to the counsel of others? And, of course, the best counsel for us to listen to is the counsel of the Word of God itself. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 24. He said, your testimonies are my delight and my counselors. So the, the, the vanity, we, we see the vanity of those who have risen to power uh, and prestige and public acclaim. Uh, and yet they, and they become too proud uh, and they think they don't need counsel. But we need the counsel, especially of the word of God. Uh, each and every day of our lives. It doesn't matter uh, how old or how young we are. Uh, so we need to hear, we need to heed the counsel of God's word. So, you know, as, as you open the Bible, that's, we should look for a lot of things when we read Scripture. You know, who is God? What, what is this passage saying to us about the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, what is God, you know, what, what, what duty is God requiring of me in this passage? But we also need to... Ask that question, Lord, do you have any counsel for me today? Uh, do you need to correct me? Do you need to direct me in my life? 
Well, verse 14 indicates that, that the young man who takes over the throne from the older king had once been in prison. Now, I'm going to say this is a very confusing passage, and, and I'm not going to try to explain every little detail. Uh, you know, it gets confusing exactly who he's referring to sometimes. But I think that this, this young one, that comes, he comes out of prison to be king, and he was born poor in this kingdom. So he goes from rags to riches. We like those stories. And we like to say in the United States and America, you know, this is possible for anybody. You know, you, it doesn't matter how you started. You, you can become president and things like that. Uh, from the poor house to the white house, as some, someone has said. And there are examples in the Bible of young men uh, who were wise, uh, even though they were young. And even uh, it, this one, certainly this example, this verse 14 makes us think of Joseph. Joseph was a wise young man and he was sold into slavery. Uh, he was put into prison and uh, and yet he was very, very wise. And, and, and uh, he went into Egypt uh, and, and, and he was put into prison falsely falsely with a false accusation, but God uh, exalted him. And through that experience, he eventually rose to second in command next to Pharaoh. And so uh, this young, wise, poor uh, servant was in prison and yet later became king almost. And then there's David. David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. He he worked uh, with the sheep. It was not a very glamorous job. Uh, he was the least of all, all Jesse's sons, and yet God called him to the throne uh, of Israel. And, of course, David, even before he entered uh, the throne, uh, was very popular with the people, far more popular than Saul was, who was king at the time. Saul became one of those, and he wasn't that old, but he began to, to lose that, um, well, he, he began to drift from his uh, relationship with God, and uh, he didn't listen anymore to wise counsel and so David uh, takes over eventually and uh, clearly what we see is is that character is is so important uh, in leadership it's important in in the life of every Christian Paul wrote to his um, uh, son in the faith to Timothy and he said don't let anyone despise your youth and we don't know how young Timothy was. He might have been around 40 years of age. Uh, But uh, how is Timothy going to do that? Don't let anyone despise your youth. Well, how do you do that? Can you really keep anyone from doing that? Well, I think by demonstrating wisdom beyond his years and by godly Christ-like character, then he would uh, keep people from despising him. Uh, Remember this, the key to wisdom and so whatever age we are, we want wisdom, right? The opposite, if you don't have wisdom, uh, you're going to be foolish. You're going to act foolishly. And I, for one, uh, don't want to act foolishly anymore. I've done enough foolish things in my life. I want wisdom. Where does that come from? Well, we know Proverbs teaches over and over that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we must learn to fear the Lord above all Things And to fear the Lord, the Bible says, is to shun evil. To fear the Lord is to walk in holiness and obedience to the commands of God. 
And to seek, uh, for the new covenant believer, we would say it is to seek Christ's likeness, seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. So no matter your age or how long you've been a Christian, uh, you need to be growing in your conformity to Jesus Christ. And, and certainly leaders who keep this in mind, uh, Christian leaders will be come wise and will stay wise in life. And remember that at some point, um, most leaders must hand the mantle over to others. And in verse 15, Solomon said, I saw all the living who walked under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. Again, don't ask me to exactly explain who the second youth is, but he's, he's a youth, and he takes over uh, from uh, the previous leader. And that leads us to the second point and the last point from our text, and that is the vanity of crowds. And I've talked about this before, but... Certainly this idea of, uh, you know, when leaders allow their success or their position to go to their heads, uh, they don't listen to advice, it leads to their downfall, um, beware of the vanity of making it to the top. All right, we see that. But uh, there's this idea, though, that even if a leader does the right things, even if a leader is wise, even to his old age, as he ought to be, uh, Sometimes, uh, then people reject him anyway. And uh, in the political realm especially, uh, we see the fickleness of crowds, uh, the vanity of crowds, if you will. They, uh, they may love the president or the king that they have at the moment, but as soon as a new challenger comes along promising hope and change or something like that, uh, then they turn their loyalties to the new guy. And it's a very predictive, predictable process, isn't it? And we've seen it. And, but our text says, I saw all the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. And there was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. And so the young guy becomes popular and takes over. But in time, that young guy will be uh, replaced by another uh, because maybe he uh, becomes stubborn and won't change after a while. Uh, and it's all vanity, Solomon says. It's a chasing after the wind. So don't chase it. it you can't, you know, have you ever tried to catch the wind? You can't do it. And so uh, this, this whole idea of uh, popularity and maintaining it uh, is an impossible task, really. It's it, Really, it's in the hands of God, isn't it? It's in the hands of God's providential will. And uh, Psalm 75 says, Exaltation comes neither from the east or from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Now, sometimes God uh, puts down one because of their pride, because of their great sin, because they haven't been seeking him. Uh, that happened with Saul, King Saul. Uh, but also we see from the human side, you know, when, when a leader becomes uh, prideful and doesn't uh, care to take counsel and doesn't care to uh, take care of, of those who are uh, 
that he is serving, then the crowds turn against him and want another leader. And so crowds can turn quickly one way or the other. And uh, it's anyone who puts their hope then in the favor of crowds uh, is going to be disappointed. Uh, Douglas Murray, a couple, just a few years ago, uh, wrote a book titled The Madness of Crowds. And in the introduction, he wrote this. He said, we're going through a great crowd derangement. In public and in private, both online and off, people are behaving in ways that are increasingly irrational, feverish, herd-like, and simply unpleasant. The daily news cycle is filled with the consequences, yet while we see the symptoms everywhere, we do not see the causes. Everybody sees what is going on with, with the masses and, uh, you know, right now it's the demonstrations. 100,000 a day in, in London, I think it is, are, are protesting against Israel, protesting for supporting Palestine and support, supporting Hamas. It's crazy, but that's what they're doing. And so <clears throat> uh, Murray goes on to explain in his book, you have to read the book if you want to know, but all the reasons he would give for this crazy and irrational action of crowds today, but we know that crowds have always been like this in, in the sense that they're easily swayed. Uh, they're not swayed today certainly by rational debate or gaining of knowledge, but simply, uh, again, social media and the trends of the moment. And the reason, of course, uh, the ultimate reason is that the unbelieving crowds, uh, Christians, by the way, aren't really part of the crowd, are they? Um, we, we, we follow a different way. But the unbelieving masses, they don't have Christ to follow, so they follow each other. And just like sheep follow each other off of a cliff, uh, they would do the same. They, they don't really know what they're doing. And if you ever watch these interviews of, of reporters on the street interviewing a protester, you know, who's just yelling to the top of their lungs, you know, this is terrible, you got to, you know, why are you doing this? What, well, explain what you're doing. And they don't have a clue. Uh, they, they are completely ignorant when you listen to them. They're caught up in the moment and in the movement around them. And that's about it. Uh, it but, you know, the reason they're there, I think, too, is that human beings, we're wired to, to have a cause, a reason, a purpose in life. And so somebody gives them a purpose. They don't know what it is. They don't know if it's true or not true or if it's good or bad. But uh, they have no purpose in life, and so they latch on to it. Uh, but when that desire, you see, to support a cause <clears throat> is done in ignorance, bad things can happen. Uh, and and when, you sim when someone simply follows the crowd, it can lead to horribly bad things, can't it? We, you know, we've probably seen some of the old film clips of, of Hitler speaking to what looks like hundreds of thousands of Germans and stirring them up to a fever pitch to, for whatever his you know, Nazi ideals were. And we see where that led down the infamous road to the Holocaust. Uh, so awful things can happen when you simply follow the crowds. And, and one example we're all familiar with with crowds is the life of our Lord Jesus. Uh, and early on, the crowds followed him wherever he went. He was healing people. He was doing miracles. 
He was teaching them uh, as no one else had taught them. He, he uh, had compassion uh, on the people, which the Jewish leaders were not known for at that time. But in John 6, Jesus took uh, five loaves and two small fish, and he multiplied it to feed 5,000 people. Well, that's going to give you some popularity right away, as you can imagine. And so after that, they wanted to, to take him by force and try to make him king. Uh, he was very popular, the height of his popularity at that point. But Jesus was not living for their acclaim. Uh, he departed, it says, to a mountain to be alone. Uh, but the next day, the crowds would not be denied. They found him. He was on the other side of the lake. And he taught them again. And he taught them this time some very hard truths. And they didn't like what he had to say this time. And uh, <clears throat> they began to complain in John 6, 65 to 68. It says, therefore, Jesus said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then he turns to the twelve. Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So clearly Jesus did not seek the approval of the crowds. The popularity thing for him meant nothing. And neither should we uh, seek uh, the approval of the crowds. Now those uh, who live by the sword will die by the sword. Those who live by the crowds will die by the crowd. And on that day, we continue in Jesus' life. David's triumphal entry into Jerusalem <clears throat> during the Passover. The crowds again began to adore him and, and praise him. They spread the palm branches before him and they cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So again, very popular at that moment. But we all know what happened a few days later, about a week later. He was arrested and he was in the custody of Pilate. But Pilate wanted to release him. And, 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 he, and he tried to get them to release uh, Jesus, but they voted for Barabbas instead, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. This is what crowds do. And they were praising him, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and then they were saying, crucify him. John Calvin commented, this is a display of shocking madness. We see then what insanity had seized them. So again, that theme of, of the madness of crowds. Um, <clears throat> well, eventually, of course, Christ was crucified uh, because of the will of the crowds. Really, it was, again, it was the will of God, wasn't it? Uh, whichever way the crowds turn, remember this, the Lord has turned them. And, and there's some pretty awful things that crowds can do and push for, but think about this. God has a purpose even in these things. As part of his plan, we need to pray that God will... Uh, do his will in all of these things. But our part, again, is to live for Jesus, to acknowledge his sovereign lordship in our lives, to live for our heavenly Father's approval, no matter what the rest of the world is doing. And so I'm very thankful that Jesus had one thing on his mind, to do the will of his heavenly Father, to do the work that God had given him to do. And he said toward the end, he said, I've finished the work that my Father has given me. 
And we can be thankful that Jesus didn't cater to the crowds. He didn't, uh, you know, seek their approval. He pursued a higher calling. He was called to be the Savior, the Redeemer of his people. And that's what he did. He saved us. He died. He died alone. Uh, the crowds were condemning him. Uh, and and, uh, and all, even all his disciples forsook him. But he took our sins upon himself. And, and he humbled himself, the Bible says, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. But we know that wasn't the end. Uh, God raised him from the dead and highly exalted him. He gave him the name that's above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so abandoned by God, forsaken by God, he had to be to suffer wrath. The Father's face was turned away. Abandoned by people, Jesus died to bring us into a right relationship with God. And he is now exalted to the highest place in all of creation. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. What matters it's not what people think of you. What matters if you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Is that true of you today? Do you know him? Are you resting in, in the Lord Jesus Christ? And so each day, e even those who say that they believe, we must choose who we will serve. The, the Lord Jesus or the world around us. One way leads to everlasting life. The other to eternal death. And so, what would you rather be, that young, wise man or the old and foolish king? You know, that young, poor man, whoever he was, I don't know if he was anybody in Solomon's mind, it's a proverb. That young, poor man had been in prison, but he came out and became king. That's a good story. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he brings you out of the bondage, the prison house of sin. What a great story that is. And so this king uh, makes us kings and priests to our God. So what a story that is. Sinner bound for hell, deserving hell, raised from spiritual death and made a king and priest to God. Well, as we close this message just think about how great this king is that we serve how great this king is uh, he is a great king he's the king of kings he is a glorious uh, and majestic king his dominion is not over one nation only but over all the earth and all the kings of the earth and he is an almighty king he has all power other kings have some power but it's nothing in comparison to him. Other kings are foolish. They're, they're cruel. They're harsh. They want to rule with, uh, with uh, cruelty. And, but our king is wise. He's gracious. He's generous. He's loving. He's faithful. All earthly kings will die but, and be replaced. But our king lives forever. And no one will ever take his place. He reigns forever and ever. For of his kingdom, the Bible says, there will be no end. And so let's worship the king. Uh, let's rejoice in what the king has done. This king has humbled himself and taken our sins upon himself. He shed his body and blood for us. Uh, we need to live for him. Uh, whether the crowds are for us, sometimes they'll, they'll encourage you. They'll, sometimes they will speak well of us. 
But other times they'll hate us. We don't care. We, we press on in the high calling of God and following and serving our Lord Jesus Christ because he's worthy. He's the king. He's the king of all kings. And I'm going to ask the elders now to come forward.